So today we have Del Wilbert, who's another uh, friend of ours, uh, who has been in, um, has worked in human trafficking, and also he has covered, uh, he served as a St. Louis police officer for many years, and then he joined the CIA and has been in and out of different theaters and has worked, has worked as a defense contractor overseas. And Del, tell us how you got involved with the Afghanistan evacuation. Well, a, a, a friend of mine who's a, a retired Delta Force uh, operator uh, contacted me uh, a couple of weeks ago now and uh, uh, told me that or asked basically asked a favor for me to try to get him some uh, uh, some landing rights. He had actually uh, rented a aircraft in uh, Dushanbe in uh, Tajikistan and uh, uh, it was an old Russian uh, AN-12, I think it was, Antonov-12 uh, cargo plane that uh, um, he had uh, was looking to get into uh, Kabul to start picking some people up and, uh, you know, basically do his part. So so we kind of scrambled on our end back here to try to uh, put him in touch with the right people who could could make those things happen for him, which we were able to. We, we got uh, a... Uh, retired army uh, uh, officer, a, a lady who uh, was instrumental in getting him the landing rights that he needed. So he made uh, a number of trips into, uh, into Kabul and picked up, uh, picked up some people. I think uh, uh, roughly around 500 is what he was able to get out before he was finally shut down by, uh, by the, the military in, in, uh, in Kabul who were basically restricted all all landing rights only to military aircraft. Uh, that was about, I guess, I guess now a week ago. And this was the U.S. military that had shut down those landing rights. Yes, that's my understanding. It was uh, uh, the U.S. military. I think it happened actually right after those two congressmen showed up. I don't know if that precipitated it. If they were uh, took that as you know uh, something they needed to do to to stop. Uh, having people fly in there. I mean, I, I, I don't know for certain, but, uh, but it was, uh, it was within a day, I think after those congressmen left. So. And where did, where did your friend take the 500 people? Uh, to Doha. And how many uh, trips was, did he was, did he have? Uh, if I remember correctly, it was, uh, it was at least three trips. Um, uh, one of the interesting things that that he did, though, I mean, you know, it's kind of uh, it's like people in that kind of work in my, you know, my old my old field. And and certainly, uh, you know, people that uh, uh, Tommy is his name uh, with Delta Force, uh, when they retire, they don't really retire. And uh, he was able to actually make uh, some valuable intel observations on his flyovers when he flew over. He was able to to see, uh, uh, you know, some of the uh, activity down below on the ground. And he actually identified some troop uh, dispositions and some uh, uh, located some of our missing aircraft that, uh, you know, had been given to the Afghans, uh, which had, you know, been flown out of Afghanistan and, and uh, uh, dropped off in other locations, basically, uh, you know, abandoned, but, uh, some of them uh, apparently were very sensitive aircraft that uh, uh, that we were interested in in where they where they were at the time. So 
you know, and this was just something that, uh, like I said, he, he recognized something on his, uh, uh, as he was doing flyovers, he had to fly at low altitude because uh, on more than one occasion, he, uh, he experienced some engine trouble. And uh, in fact, he lost one engine uh, uh, of a four engine aircraft. He had to shut it down because of a, because of a problem on one of his trips. So, you know, but I mean, these are the kinds of people, you know, that, you know, that, and make this country great is all I can say. I mean, you certainly, you know, my my friend and and colleague Jamie, you know, who uh, uh, is involved in in his own effort in that, and I put Jamie in touch with uh, with some people. So there's a lot of that going on where, you know, we're working together, uh, even though I may not be actively involved in what Jamie's doing. You know, I'm connecting him with people who can help him, and vice versa. I mean, so it's, you know, it's a uh, uh, it's an effort that. Um, you know, is just, it's, hey, it's, it's who we are. Talk about the ethics that, um, that, that follows in military uh, minds of stepping up to the plate when the, when the country is in need. Talk about why you guys do what you do. Well, we love this country, you know, I mean, uh, it, it's, you know, it's, it's in our blood. I mean, we, you know, there's a, uh, there's a great line. I don't know if you, if you recall the movie, uh, Black Hawk Down, but towards the end of the movie, there was a Delta operator who uh, uh, is uh, uh, Norman Hooten is his name, and uh, uh, he's retired now. Hoot. And but uh, yeah, Hoot, yeah. But uh, uh, he made a comment to to one of the other soldiers then, and he said, "You know, it's not about uh, it, it's about the guy to the left of you and the guy to the right of you, and that's what matters, and that's truly." what it is. I mean, when, when you work closely with, with people as Jamie has, as, as I have, uh, I mean, I did a lot of work. Uh, I still am doing work with the special operations community. Um, you know, you develop a, you know, uh, um, a brotherhood in, in a sense. Uh, and, you know, we give a damn about each other and we know that people that we're working with have been in harm's way uh, or are going to be in harm's way again. And, you know, you put your, you put your life in the hands of the people that you surround yourself with. And the special operations community is the kind of people that, you know, I, I have no hesitation putting my life in their hands because I know the quality of people that I'm dealing with. And, and they're not going to leave somebody behind. You know, that's why you're seeing what's going on now. You're seeing them stepping up to the plate and trying to help get people out that that we put our lives in their hands, you know, that uh, that helped us during our our period of time in Afghanistan. And so it's you know, it's it's something that's just within us. And uh, I don't you know, I don't know. I don't know how better to describe it. How shocked were you to, to find out that the um, that Secretary of State Blinken was saying that we told people months ago to get out of Afghanistan when you know, as somebody who's been a defense contractor, that many of those corporations were blindsided by this? Well, I think it's a crock. And, and I'll tell you why. Because our esteemed president just the other day said that uh, that we told people 19 times to get out of uh, of Afghanistan, yet just a month ago 
he was telling us that everything was just peachy. You know, the Afghan military, 300,000 strong. They were going to kick the living crap out of, uh, you know, out of Al or out of uh, Taliban. And, and we had nothing to worry about. So if, if all of these people who were in Afghanistan were being told that, you know, everything's peachy, you know, the Afghan military is going to step up to the plate. Well, why would they leave? You know, they've got jobs to do over there. They've got things to contribute. Why would they just pack up and leave when, when we're being told we've got uh, things are under control? And so now we know that narrative was being uh, put out there by Biden falsely. Absolutely. That, absolutely. That and Tony yeah. Blinken as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a crock. It's a bunch of garbage. Are you working with any other groups in terms of getting any specific groups out now, or is it just doing whatever you possibly can if, if somebody gives you a call? Yeah, just basically waiting for a call. If, if I mean, if there's something I can do, you know, I mean, Jamie and I have been in touch with each other, uh, you know, almost daily. Uh, and in fact, Jamie and I did a, we did a radio program, uh, uh, yesterday uh, together and uh, talked about his effort and uh, and things that we have done to try to to uh, to help you know uh, step in where you know the Biden administration has has let people down and uh, I mean so that'll continue like I said I might get a call tomorrow I mean uh, my buddy Tommy uh, was <laughs> I mean uh, he was ready to fly he was hey I'm I'm ready to go back over. He says, tell me to go. Let's go. I'll go back over. I'll run another damn airplane. And uh, which uh, the funny thing was he put he rented that airplane on his American Express card. Uh, you know, he's assured that he's going to get reimbursed for it. But, uh, you know, it, uh, it it's just like without hesitation. You know, uh, people do things without hesitation. People like Tommy, people like Jamie, you know, uh, hey, I wouldn't worry about my, my American Express card. You know, let's go, you know. If that's what it takes to get the job done, we'll worry about paying the damn bill later on. But yeah, I mean, it's like I said, it's, you know, wherever we can pitch in. What do you see, you know, as somebody who, who's worked for the agency and, and in some terrible spots, hot spots, when the agency pulled out several weeks ago, wasn't that a telltale sign that, something was going terribly wrong in terms of the decision-making um, process in the administration? Yeah. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. You know, we're removing all of our intelligence capability out of a country. You don't do that unless you're, you're expecting some bad things, uh, you know, to happen. And uh, you know, the fact that, uh, uh, that they closed down, you know, agency uh, operations bases in Afghanistan, uh, well ahead of the, the evacuation uh, from Kabul airport. Uh, I mean, that should have told anybody, okay, there, there's some, there's some problems coming. And, uh, you know, so now do we still have uh, some intelligence capability or uh, I hope so. I sure as hell hope so. You know, uh, I hope we haven't cut ties with everybody, but you know, in, in, in this administration, uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't have faith in in what uh, you know what's being done. So uh, I know that uh, a lot of us. I mean, I'm. Hey, I was in the army in 1975 when you know we our helicopters were lifting people off of the U.S. embassy in Saigon. I remember witnessing that and and saying to myself, I hope to God I'd ever live long enough to see something like that happen again. Uh, 
And there was a, there was a good uh, book that was written. Actually, it was written by a former agency employee, a former case officer. Uh, Frank Schnepp was his name. And the, the name of the book was Decent Interval. And right. he wrote about our withdrawal from South Vietnam and, and, and how we did back then. We left a lot of people behind. And, uh, and it was a, a stain on the agency and, and on our country uh, that it has taken decades to try to repair. What happened in Afghanistan is unbelievably damaging to our future intelligence activities anywhere in the world. Why in the hell would anybody trust us? Why would anybody agree to, to, to work with us uh, if we're not going to promise them that we're going to take care of you if the time comes that we need to get you out of there? How could they ever trust us? You know, you know I mean, it, it, one of one of my <clears throat> first bosses in the business years ago is a guy named Kevin Delaney. He since passed away, but Kevin was working. I was this. Is, I worked for him when I was at ABC News, and he worked for CBS in Saigon. And he helped some of those Vietnamese get out of country after we abandoned them. And and the, the people in Arlington, Virginia, just revered Kevin because he, he and a, a bunch of journalists did whatever they could at the time to help those people. Compare. Talk about, you know, the trust that's lost when people on the global stage see Americans abandon those in country who have stood by them because or abandon their own citizens or abandon their own citizens as well. I mean, leaving people behind. But but it's just it's just it's a bad mirror to be looking into as far as I'm concerned. Well, absolutely. And, and just think of what uh, what had took place in uh, the last year of Trump's administration when uh, he he was able to uh, uh, get uh, monumental historic agreements between Arab nations and Israel, and I, I guarantee you that there were uh, behind the scenes uh, promises made to those Arab countries: the United Arab Emirates, uh, heck, Sudan, uh, Morocco, uh, other uh, governments who had existing, uh, you know, Jordan had an existing agreement with, um, uh, you know, with uh, uh, the the uh, Israelis. And now that, you know, we have done what we did in Afghanistan, I guarantee you that those countries, the, the Emiratis, uh, you know, the other uh, Arab nations in that, that, that took a chance to, uh, to go ahead and sign a peace deal with, uh, you know, the Abram, Abrams Accords to sign those uh, now they're probably scratching their heads and wondering, okay, well, you know, how much can we depend on the United States uh, in the future? Because we know that we're going to be uh, we're going to be attacked. I mean, uh, you know, Israel or not Israel, Iran is a a huge threat to the United Arab Emirates, and and they're worried about Iran. They were worried about Iran when I was over there, which is why I was was working to try to help them and. Uh, uh, so, you know, those are the kinds of things that, that we have to think about uh, might might happen down the road is is we may we may not be able to go to a country like the UAE or Jordan or one of the other uh, countries that have been friendly to us in the Arab world and ask them for help on a certain thing because they may just decide, you know what, I can't take the chance. I cannot take the chance because how, how can I depend on on knowing for sure that the United States is going to back me up? in a tough jam if something bad comes out of this. So it, it, it concerns me uh, very, very much. So you're, t you're talking about 
Disloyalty is a national security issue. Abandonment is a national security issue. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. You know, we, we depend on the relationships that we have been able to create with other governments, other friendly governments. We depend on those relationships. We depend on them to, to, to help share information with us. We share information with them. Mm-hmm. You know, if we uh, break that trust and put doubts in their minds that, that we're loyal friends, that we're reliable friends, you know, uh, they're not going to be that that uh, willing to share information with us in, in the future. I mean, it, it's simply going to, you know, it's like turning off a faucet, you know, it, water stops coming out. Well, it's the same thing. You know, you turn off that, that relationship and, you know, the information stops. So we know that, you know, military talks to military across nationalities because of the relationships that are developed. And we also know that Intel across nationalities develop relationships for years. What are you hearing in the, in your Intel relationships overseas in terms of their reaction to what we have just done in terms of abandoning people in Afghanistan? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not actively working as an intelligence officer anymore overseas. You know, I, I'm, what, what I'm doing now is, is basically is training and, and preparing uh, our special ops community and that for some of the challenges that, that they face when they go overseas. So, uh, so I don't have those, those connections uh, or at least as broad a connections as I once had. I do have some, uh, uh, some associates and friends that are still in uh, some, uh, a couple of Arab nations and that, that um, I tell you, I, I have touched base with them and I've apologized. I've said, man, I said, I'm sorry. I, I, what else can I say? I am sorry for what we've done. And I, I don't know what else, you know, what else to tell them that uh, uh, other than, you know, they know me, they know who I am. They know me personally and, that, and they know that I'm not, you know, and, and that the people that I uh, am friends with, the people, the colleagues that I had, uh, the associates that I have in, in this world that, uh, that I come from and that I still, still live in, in to, to, to some extent, uh, they know that those people uh, will have their back if they're given the chance. But, you know, I, I don't, I cannot speak for our government. I really can't. Uh, I can't speak for, you know, the agency anymore. Um, it is, it has caused some, uh, I think probably in some cases, some irreparable damage. Uh, it's going to take uh, probably many years for us to be able to to regain some of the trust in that that we, you know, that we once had. Del, can you you may not be able to talk about it, but do you have any opinion on what's going on at the agency as far as some of the leadership challenges and what uh, uh, you know? You look at what's come out with Brennan and all all of this stuff. I mean, do you have an opinion on that, or do you not even want to go there? Well, the only thing I, I can say is I know that when Mike Pompeo was the director of CIA, mm-hmm. that he was taking steps to try to repair some of the damage that was done by the pre- previous administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not something that's going to uh, be repaired overnight. And takes a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I said it takes a while. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, 
I mean, there definitely was, uh, was, were some problems within the agency and he was trying to address them, but, you know, obviously then he was, was uh, selected to be the secretary of state, which was a, a, a great choice for him. I did not work. I never worked with nor knew, um, geez, I, her, her name just escapes me. I can't think of her darn name right now. Um, Haynes. I'm sorry. Haynes. The the, the the lady who was just uh, right. CIA director. I can't think of her name. It just escapes me. But uh, uh, I'm sorry. No, it was uh, it wasn't Haynes. It was uh, I, I know he's talking about. But go ahead. Hey, yeah, I just, I, you know, I, I, I can't think of her darn name right now. Uh, anyway, she was the the last CIA director under Trump, and uh, obviously when when the Biden's administration came into office and she submitted her, you know, tendered her resignation and left. Uh, I worked with some guys in um, the Emirates who knew her, who actually worked with her before. And Gina, and they spoke Gina Haspel. Oh yeah. Gina yes. Gina Haspel. Right. Yes. Gina Haspel. Uh, they spoke highly of her uh, where they worked with her before when she was a COS. Uh, I don't, First, I know, like I said, anything about her. I know that that during uh, the last year of, of of Trump's presidency, there were there was you know obviously enormous pressure put on uh, uh, all of the uh, I mean on the CIA and and other agencies to uh, because they they were political pressures that were being you know mm-hmm. uh, so I don't and and I don't know I wasn't on the inside so I don't know how she handled those. Uh, pressures that were were certainly put against her uh, by, you know, the people who are basically out to get Trump. Uh, but all I can go by is that my understanding anyway is when she went into the agency, she tried to pick up where Mike Pompeo had left off and mm-hmm. get the agency out of politics to, to get them back to doing what they once did best, which was provide you know, good intelligence for, you know, for our senior leadership so that they could, you know, they're the decision makers and they relied on the agency uh, and the other members of the intelligence community to provide them with with uh, the best information that they could so that they could make the right decisions for our country. What do you, I mean, one more question. What do you think about uh, people like McChrystal and others who are using technology developed for use against ISIS, against the American public, like some of these social media manipulation efforts that he's running through defeat disinfo and, and some of this other, do you know much about that? I mean, it's, there, there's a lot of, uh, I guess I'll say rumors, but, uh, you know, someone's running an information operation in this country against the American people, basically. You know, that, that I don't know. I I've heard the same, the same rumors in that. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, if something like that's going on, Mm -hmm. uh, then I sure as hell hope they get caught and I hope they hang because, uh, no. you know, that's not, uh, that's not in the agency's charter. That's not what the agency does. We don't run operations against American citizens. Uh, yeah. it, it's as simple as that. So if that's going on, I can't discount it. I've heard the same yeah. rumors. Uh, yeah. I certainly can't discount it with this administration. I wouldn't put anything Pat. You know, I, I have to offer my my own perspective in that, and mm-hmm. and I think there's many people that that agree that Joe Biden is an empty suit. Uh, right. He's doing what he's told, what right. he's instructed to do. Uh, 
Uh, and I, I personally believe that, uh, uh, that much of what we're seeing take place now probably can be traced all the way back uh, to Martha's Vineyard. And mm -hmm. uh, I think you're going to find his fingerprints on a lot of stuff, or maybe not mm -hmm. his fingerprints because uh, it'll be his, uh, his, right. uh, his uh, major uh, uh, or his closest advisor, closest aide who will, she'll right. be the one that, uh, you know, whose fingerprints right. you might find, but, uh, right. but believe me, she's not doing anything without his, uh, you know, his approval. So I think that's what you're going to see. Uh, I think that's going on. Uh, we know that, you know, that uh, uh, when Trump was before he was actually elected, you know, we know that his campaign was spied on. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they had uh, uh, technical, you know, uh, penetration of his uh, his campaign. Uh, and then it's just it's it's obvious what, you know, the guy for four years was under uh, attack right. uh, for for absolutely no justification. And, uh, you know, so there's, there's some bad players out there and, uh, I hope to hell that, yeah. uh, that they, I hope they get found out. I really do. I think accountability is key. I think what we're seeing in Afghanistan is just a symptom of the disease, but anyway, for another show, maybe let's, let's <laughs> talk about the, I mean, we all have heard about censorship, you know, in terms of yeah. COVID. I mean, do you think Dell now, because you know how it works for disinformation, having, you know, spent years in the, in the agency, um, do you expect to have some censorship now about covering up what really happened in Afghanistan and what what it may happen in the future in Afghanistan? Uh, well, I, th I think absolutely. There's going to be a lot of, uh, uh, well, there's already, a, you know, a lot of finger pointing going on. And, uh, you know, by Biden himself, you know, he, he keeps to, uh, he keeps pointing to the the agreement that uh, that President Trump uh, signed, you know, with the Taliban back, uh, you know, several months ago, or that uh, back in the last, you know, the last year of his administration that was supposed to take effect back in April, you know, uh, so Biden's already pointing at that and, and trying to use that as, as some type of uh, justification for, you know, for what, uh, what he did uh, and, and how it was handled, uh, you know, our uh, hasty departure from, uh, from Afghanistan, if you will. Uh, you know, all administrations do that. They all point to the previous one. I mean, Trump certainly pointed to things he inherited from the Obama administration. You know, uh, Obama pointed every everything was Bush's fault. You know, that that goes on. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the difference uh, is that when outright lies are told to the American people, as opposed to, you know, just uh, politics where you try to to show yeah. yourself in, in a more favorable light. Okay. There's a difference between that and, and between lying. And I think the American people are being lied to. They have been lied to and they're fed up with it. So and let's talk about the dark, the dark side of the failure uh, in Afghanistan and um, the fertile ground that it may return to, which is, which involves human trafficking. Well, I mean, I think you're going to see that. I mean, you're, you know, I, I view what the Taliban is is doing and what they did previously, what they've already started doing, and what I think is going to is going to go on back to to the olden days. Uh, I equate that with human trafficking because you're you're going to have women and girls 
who are going to be consigned to a to a slow death because they're going to be, you know, uh, uh, married off if you want to, if if they want to call it that to to Taliban fighters and others and uh, you know it's it, it they're going to be basically war brides you know and and in my mind that that right there is probably uh, one of the most vicious kinds of human trafficking that. Uh, that you're going to see, we're already seeing it, and uh, and it's going to, you know, uh, certainly the the Taliban uh, used whatever uh, whatever had value in the past uh, that they could use to to uh, uh, curry favor or raise money. Uh, I mean, they were heavily involved in the the drug trade, and if if you know human trafficking. Is something that that will benefit them from, uh, you know, from a, a a financial point of view. They'll do it. They don't care because human human life, really, particularly when it comes to women and and young girls, has no value to them whatsoever. I mean, they are they are a despicable. I you know, I, I once joked that I don't have my vocabulary, which is can be pretty colorful at times, but I don't have enough cuss words. Uh, in my vocabulary to use to describe what the Taliban is. So leave it at that. Yeah, that's, it's, uh, it's pretty gruesome when people, for people who, who quite, who understand it. I mean, a lot of people know about human trafficking, but they really don't know the nuances of human trafficking among certain elements of society. Um, in closing, let's talk about your book. All right. Show, show us the copy of your book and tell us why you wrote it and what it's about. It is. The title of it is In the Shadow of the Swords, the Baghdad Police Academy. Right. And, uh, it's a I, true uh, story. It's not nonfiction. It's not nonfiction. Oh, it's a true story. I mean, it is It is not yeah. fiction. It's a true story. Yes. So tell us about it. You, you were asked to go back and build it up. Well, I, I, you know, was fortunate enough to get uh, the opportunity to go help try to rebuild the the uh, Iraqi police force that was basically, I mean, disbanded along with their military after uh, Saddam's fall. And, you know, there were some uh, decisions made by people who were in in uh, uh, charge of the, uh, you know, the rebuilding of Iraq. Uh, that I think were, were questionable. You know, I mean, uh, anybody that had a Baathist party affiliation, you know, was no longer was wasn't invited back. They, we, they didn't want to have any Baathist affiliation with the new government. Well, many of these people, you know, had you party, you know, in order to have a job, party affiliation was 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 necessary. You know, and uh, particularly like in the the police and the military and that. So, so basically they threw a lot of, they created an insurgency is what they did because they sent all these people, you know, uh, that had jobs all of a sudden now they were unemployed, you know, they had no income coming in. And, uh, so a lot of it, you know, went to, uh, like I said, uh, uh, help to, to fuel the insurgency that we later fought for the next several years. Uh, but I was able to spend time at the Baghdad police Academy and, uh, uh, trying to rebuild their uh, their police force uh, and try to to instill them in them something of a uh, more of a, a Western philosophy of of policing as opposed to you know the brutal Middle Eastern uh, policing that had 
that had occurred under Saddam Hussein. I mean, basically, they were just Saddam's, you know, strong arms uh, that, uh, you know, they carried out uh, and kept a, a tight fist over the, the Iraqi people. Well, we were trying to change that, you know, to, to the best extent that we could anyway. I worked with some great people. I mean, that's really, the book is about our experiences, uh, the challenges we, we faced, you know, uh, just trying to do that job in the middle of a war zone. Um, you know, the, the humor, I mean, there's a lot of humor in the book because anytime you get a bunch of, uh, uh, farmer cops together, I mean, people have heard of that gallows humor that, that police right. officers, uh, often have and, uh, in the military as well. And, uh, uh, so, you know, there's humor involved. I mean, I tell some of the stories of some of the, you know, practical jokes we played on each other. Uh, you know, we did a lot of that because, I mean, that, that kept your, you know, your sanity because, uh, you know, in, in the midst of getting martyred on a fairly often regular basis, uh, ambushes that people in, you know, uh, lived through when they had to make trips over to the green zone or, or, or some other location in that, uh, uh, you know, that they would get, uh, I get shot at, you know, the military, the, the convoys that they were in. So, you know, it, it's basically just a story of that, that effort and uh, the people that I worked with, the, the friends I made that I'm still friends with for life. Uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was a time that I thought needed to be chronicled. You know, certainly it's my perspective, you know, someone else may write a book and say, you know, that Wilbur guy, he's, he's full of crap. You know, I mean, uh, this is how, what really happened. You know, I mean, that may be their, you know, their perspective. So, you know, and if so, so be it. I mean, uh, you know, I'm certainly not going to, going to whine or complain about it. It's, it's my perspective and, uh, uh, the people that I, I worked with, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're hopeful actually I'm dealing with, uh, with a couple of, uh, uh, producers, uh, from out in Hollywood that, that we may, we may end up doing something a little bit more than a book with this. Uh, we're well, still a long I hope way so. from I hope so. <laughs> It's We're still a long way away from that, but, uh, but we've got, uh, and in fact, it's the country of Jordan who is, uh, very interested in, in helping us with it. And, uh, they're going to provide us with an awful lot of support. So, uh, uh so it, you know, it's something that may happen. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to see if it, if it continues down that road, but, but if not, Hey, you know, I, I wrote the book not to make a million dollars. I wrote the book to tell the story about the people I worked with and the good things they did and, and the challenges we met every day. And that's the purpose of the book. So, uh, you know, if I sell one copy, great. If I sell a million copies, great. You know, it doesn't matter to me. It's it's the story that, that matters. And, uh, you know, recognizing uh, the people that, uh, that lived through it with me. You know, it, when, I, when you were saying that, Del, one of the thoughts that just came to my mind, because um, all three of us have, you know, traveled the world and, and seen conflict and seen humanitarian disasters and war zones and whether it's human trafficking investigations or anything like that in third world countries. What does it tell you guys? when you see so many people going to the airport that are that were born in Afghanistan, that were running to the planes because they want to get out, not just the fear, but what it means to have a country transform itself away from the Taliban rule. 
I mean, because it's it's a it's it's really it it should mean more than just people evacuating a country. They were leaving because they want a certain type of life. You know, I I think I have thought this. Uh, I have thought about this uh, numerous times since you know the the since we departed uh, uh, Afghanistan. I think about the young women, the girls. Who were weren't even born yet when we you know came in Afghanistan, or who may have only been you know three or four years old, who they've grown up knowing nothing but That's right. opportunity to be right. you know to go to college, to go to school, to to pursue a job, you know, to do something uh, that uh, you know that's expected. I mean that I mean that's that's the life that they know. They never knew the Taliban. You know, the Taliban was this this historic thing, this evil thing that uh, that they heard about from their their elders. And I think about the, the those poor young women and girls who I, I just it 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 makes me angry and saddens me to no end to think about the life that is ahead of them. You know, uh, it's just yeah. it, it's. That's I know that many of them were the ones that were trying to get the hell out of Afghanistan because, you know, they they knew what was going to happen if they stayed and uh, and they wanted to get out, you know, so badly. And and I, I feel ter- I feel that I feel personal responsibility, even though I didn't have anything to do with the decision to to get them out of there or not get them out of there. I feel as an American that I let them down. My country let them down. And that bothers me to no end. You know, I've thought about this too. You know, we have the very similar parallels to Vietnam because you had the Soviet Union we were fighting, which was an evil force, very similar to extremist Islam. In Vietnam, even though we, you know, lost, if you want to say, the war never really on the battlefield, but from a political standpoint, it did halt the encroachment of communism and it did inject a way of looking at life into a region. So maybe you could compare that to Afghanistan a little bit and maybe down the road, if we get our stuff together, like we did after Carter, that, you know, maybe that we can be seen some kind of good come out of this, but I don't know, based on what you were saying with that people understood what another life could be, mm-hmm. you know? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't see, I mean, I, as I said, it, it saddens me mm-hmm. to no end that these, these poor young women and girls, yeah, mm-hmm. they have no future. I mean, um, they're going to be nothing but a, a commodity to the yeah. Taliban, you know, and they're going to be bought and sold, traded, uh, mistreated. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, yeah. you know, I was I was, you know, a, an E4 in the army in 1975 when when Saigon fell. And I I absolutely could not believe uh, I I. All these years, I've never believed I would ever see something like that again. I just didn't believe it, and you know, it's yeah. uh, it's it's hard. It's hard to watch what's happening now. It really is. Well, hopefully, all you guys that are making these efforts, you know, to get people out, regardless of where the U.S. government stands today, and regardless of their acts of omission that are that have created hurdles. Hopefully that you'll overcome those as you normally do. 
and hopefully the world will open up and give uh, landing rights and um, do the right thing just because it's the right thing to do. Del, thank you very much. And, and please, um, standing invitation to come back to us as this story develops because it's not going away. We know that.